listening to the Northside Christian Church Sermon Podcast. These teachings are recorded at our weekly Sunday morning gatherings in Springfield, Missouri. For more about our church, service times, and how to connect, visit northsidechristianchurch.net. So there is a character in every apocalyptic movie that you will watch, and if you make it a, I don't know, a a tradition every year to watch Independence Day with Will Smith, and um, that that movie has this character in it. But everyone, you know, you know the types of movies where it's like the world's going to end, um, and that's like every movie now. It's like even if it's just happening in New York City or Hawkins, Indiana, the world is going to end because of this event. But there's somebody in all of these movies that um, that we know that they're, and we just tend to, you know, like, be okay with it being the same character every single time. But what they call this, I looked it up online, there's actually a name for it, it's called the Ignored Expert. The Ignored Expert is uh, usually introduced early in the movie, and they have a hunch or data or some sort of, you know, inkling that something really, really terrible is going to happen, like, I don't know, like the dinosaurs are not going to eat people, um, but they are, uh, and everybody thinks it's going to be totally fine, the aliens are going to come, or the, you know, volcano is going to erupt, or the, you know, whatever, whatever it is. It's in, it's in all these movies, Independence Day, Jurassic World, The Day After Tomorrow, Don't Look Up, you just name movie after movie, and you'll see these people early, they will give the warning signs, but they get ignored. Nobody wants to, you know, nobody wants to listen to them, whether it's for profit or, you know, don't want to freak people out. So, um, or they're just like, their credentials aren't very good. That's what happens off of the time is like, like, you know, you made somebody mad or you didn't graduate with the right degree or whatever. What do you know? We've got scientists that know so much better. The ignored expert, you know, as we've been a few weeks into our series of Jeremiah, Tears to Joy, there is um, a sense that, that, uh, that Jeremiah is becoming this ignored expert. I mean, he's shouting from the rooftops. God is giving him messages and warning Israel that they are headed towards exile, that bad things are really coming, that are coming their way, and he is just speaking the truth to them. But nobody wants to hear that truth. Nobody wants to listen to a guy who's just telling them that really bad things are about to happen, and so um, they they don't listen. As a matter of fact, the um, uh, the ESV Bible, uh, the ESV Study Bible, says that the entire plot question of the book of Jeremiah could be summed up like this. Will God's people listen to God's warnings and repent of their sin? Or will they reject the message of God's prophet and be destroyed? Will they actually listen to Jeremiah? Or will they treat him as an ignored expert and just go on with their lives and the coming captivity. Now we know, because we get to read this story from, you know, we get to read this story backwards, is that the nation has shown no interest in repentance. And as we see the clock ticking down, Jeremiah, he's tasked with giving this nation uh, more warnings, it is, but, but it may not be warnings at this point. At this point, it's more like, I hope you know why this is happening to you. I hope you know, I'm going to just continue to tell you it's a warning and there is, there is hope for repentance, but, but the people have shown no interest in that. And so these final warnings really seem more like reasons that they will be captured. And so we're going to be in Jeremiah chapter 23 this morning. And we start to get a glimpse at just how corrupt the nation of Israel has become. How, how corrupt God's people and now the kingdom of Judah, as we've divided the kingdoms up, um, have become. He spends the first part of the chapter warning or giving a woe to the kings of, of, of Judah. And he goes through the kings and how they have failed and how they've led the people astray. 
you call them shepherds um, in, in the early parts of, of 23. They're called shepherds, but these are um, the kings and the civic leaders, the politicians, you could call them, the ones who are supposed to protect God's people and, and, and lead them towards God, not farther away. But we know that that didn't happen. But what I want to focus on this morning is the second half of the chapter 23, which a lot of preachers won't because it's, it's really, uh, it's really kind of telling. Um, and, and, and what, what Jeremiah does is he turns his focus away from the kings and the civic leaders because that's really kind of, you know, like easy bait. That's the easy out. We could just blame them. It's all their fault that we're going to be overtaken. The army's not strong enough or they made the wrong decisions. The policies are wrong, blah, blah, blah. But then he turns to the people of God and the prophets of God. Jeremiah gives a scathing takedown of this group because they are, in fact, the prophets supposed to be the last line of defense to God's truth. When everything is spiraling, the people should be able to look to the prophets. They should be able to look to God's holy messengers to get the truth of God. But they had failed, and the prophets were actually, you know, previously we see in the Old Testament, like when... when things were spiraling out of control, God would send prophets or he'd send judges or he'd send his message in some way to his people. There was some way that the truth would prevail. But here's what God says about Israel's prophets in the book of Jeremiah, chapter 23, verses 13 and 14. It says, among the prophets of Samaria, this is outside of Judah, among the prophets of Samaria, I saw something disgusting. They prophesied by Baal. And they led my people astray. Just a side note, disgusting is one of the words that my daughters learn how to say, and it's not disgusting. It's the cutest thing ever. So, um, uh, but but it's, it's adorable. I don't think God said it in an adorable way, but disgusting is what he calls the prophets of Samaria. So in Samaria, that's actually expected. They're not the people of God. This is not Judah. And so we actually expect them to try to get the people of Israel, the God's chosen people, and to lead them astray. We expect that. But look at what he says next. He says, Among the prophets of Jerusalem also, this is God's people, I also saw a horrible thing. They commit adultery and walk in lies. They strengthen the hands of evildoers, and none turns his back on evil. They are like Sodom to me. He called the prophets of God like Sodom. Remember that story. The Jerusalem's residents are like Gomorrah. From the peasants to the palace. From the trenches to the temples. The answer to the plot question in Jeremiah, will they turn? Will they get it right? Will they avoid exile? The the answer is clear that God's people are not interested in repentance. They were being led by corrupt kings and they were being lied to by false prophets. And it's one thing for the outside prophets of Samaria to try to get Israel to abandon God, although they they didn't follow God. But for the prophets of God to act in such detestable ways, it says in Jeremiah, it actually says in verse 9 that it, that it breaks his heart and causes all the bones in his body to shake. Because God has given him a prophecy for the prophets. A message for the messengers. A sermon, as you will, for the preachers. And so here's what he says in verse 15. He says, Therefore, this is what the Lord of armies says concerning the prophets. I'm about to feed them wormwood and give them poisoned water to drink. Far from the prophets of Jerusalem, but for the, for the prophets, sorry, for from the prophets of Jerusalem, ungodliness has spread throughout the land. So this was not only corruption at the political level. 
This was corruption with the prophets of God and the people of God. They're all complicit in Israel's demise. The shortcut for us would be to just read the first part of the chapter and apply it and be like, well, we've got someone to blame. It's the kings. It's the the presidents. It's the politicians. It's the policies or lack thereof. And it'd be easy to just go, we've got our message there. And honestly, I listened to about 10 messages on this particular chapter and seven of the 10 um, focused on the first part of the chapter. And just, you can go figure, the preacher's not going to go to the end of the chapter and go, well, here's where I get convicted. So, so I'm, but I want to, I want to focus on this because this is not, this is not to absolve ourselves or Israel of any wrongdoing so that we don't have to change. Here's, here's what we learn in the book of Jeremiah. The words of Jeremiah are not a magnifying glass for Israel to point to enlarge someone else's sin, but a mirror to reflect their own. And we're going we're gonna to come back to that for us, but God is asking Israel to look in the mirror. Look in the mirror. What messages have you been listening to? What, uh, what, where have you been lied to? How has evil, just as it did in the garden, in the ear of Eve, when, when it slithered in and twisted God's words and turned God's word to make them sound like the truth, how has this been allowed to happen to God's people and God's truth? So how can they better identify the truth? That's the question for Israel. How can you, how can you know and better identify that God is truth, that he has given truth? We're going to come back to that for us as well. But for Israel, what was the noise? What was all the noise? How could they not hear the truth of God that he had given you? What, what was it? And, and verses 16 and 17 tells us that the prophets were just making stuff up. They were just making up messages that they knew the people wouldn't push back on. It wouldn't offend the people. I love how Eugene Peterson writes it in his message paraphrase Bible. Verses 16 and 17, he says, Don't listen to the sermons of the prophets. It's all hot air. Lies, lies, and more lies. They make it all up. Not a word they speak comes from me. They preach their everything will turn out fine sermon to congregations with no taste for God. Their nothing bad will ever happen to you sermon to people people who are set in their own ways. So the sermons are bad. And the congregation is just nodding their head and smiling. They're okay with it. They're just going because they're set in their own ways. It's not that Israel wasn't there. It's not that they weren't listening to the prophets. They were being lied to by those who should have known better. They should have been able to see it coming. It's like that, that, uh, that scene in Dumb and Dumber when Lloyd gets all of his stuff stolen, right? By the 80-year-old woman on a motorized cart. What does he say? And I should have seen it coming, right? He should have seen it coming. They should have known. There were signs everywhere. I mean, if the sermon every week is called, nothing bad will ever happen to you. Everybody calm down. Things are, going, things are not as bad as Jeremiah says they are. Every single week they would hear the same message. Every time they would hear a prophet of God speak, they should have seen it coming. These prosperity prophets were just telling people what they wanted to hear. And... They were ignoring the expert, Jeremiah, who was actually spending time in the presence of the Almighty God. Nobody wanted to listen to him. The only one who was actually hearing from God. But we have obvious parallels here. So let's just ask a few questions of this text about our current situation. Do we live in an age of noise? 
Not then we didn't, but like for two seconds, do we live in an age of noise? Yes, we have noise in our pocket. We got, I got here this morning and there were fire alarms and all kinds of stuff going on all over the building. Apparently we had a power outage last night. And when Helen came in this morning, it was just like all these little beeps and beeps and beeps and that sort of stuff. And so we started through the building going to each panel and all the things. How do we get this figured out? There's just noise everywhere. As a matter of fact, I can still kind of hear that t- might actually be going off again. But, um, but, but, but there's noise all the time. We, we make it a point in our lives to not just sit quietly. So we have noise. And here's the additional question. We look at Israel. Does, does, does that, some of that noise come from the people who are entrusted with God's word? Absolutely. The enemy is still twisting and turning God's truth. The enemy still, as he did in the garden, takes God's truth and says, God didn't really say that. What he really meant was this. So it's still that. And then the last question we can ask ourselves about this passage and where we are today currently is, do we have a culture that, as the ESV Bible says it, stubbornly follows their own hearts? Guilty? (laughs) We stubbornly follow our own hearts. So without even taking prophecy out of context... And going, oh, we can. I, I see America in this prophecy, and let's pull it out and bring it right to, to 2022. Without even doing that, we can see the parallels of a, of a noisy, news-filled, nonsense culture drowning out the truth of God. You could say it this way. We struggle to seek the truth that God has made known and not what people or others have made up. We struggle to hear that. There's so much other static around us. So we're looking to messages that other people have just made up without seeking the truth of God. This was Israel's problem. And this is what would keep them from repentance. This is what would lead them to exile. There are two short verses, I believe, that hold the keys in this, in this chapter to understanding and identifying God's truth, especially when it's clouded by mixed messages and noise. So after God has whipped up on these prophets for a while, he has some really scathing things to say about them, and the message comes from Jeremiah. Uh, he's, he, he reassures the people of God, and he reassures Jeremiah that he has given truth. As a matter of fact, early in this chapter, he gives one of the most clear um, messianic prophecies that we see in the book of Jeremiah, that, that there would be a, a shoot that would come from David, that there would be an offspring of David that would come to, to really be the truth of God. And we know, because we read this story backwards, we know that that is, that is Jesus, and it's a messianic prophecy that God will keep a remnant, and that God will save his people through the truth and through his son. But he gives this message to reassure the people that he has provided truth. So I want to camp out in these two verses, verses 28 and 29. Look at what 28 says in the Christian Standard Bible. It says, The prophet who has a dream, uh, the prophet who has only a dream, should recount that dream. So he's not, he's not saying, stop having dreams, you know, like, stop telling people what you dreamt about last night. He's not saying that. But the one who has my word should speak my word truthfully. For what is straw compared to grain? This is the Lord's declaration. God's saying, here's how you're going to define, or here's how you're going to be able to tell the truth of God from a lie. Or just somebody's crazy dream and the faithful preaching of the word that Jeremiah has been doing now for years. Here's how you're going to tell. You're going to compare the two. You're going to tell everybody to be quiet. You're going to say, okay, this was your dream, and this is the truth of God. Will it line up with the truth of God? Like straw next to wheat. God is saying literally to Israel, you are what you're consuming. You are what you eat. What you're taking in is what you're going to become. 
And that's one identifying trait of God's truth, is that God's truth will nourish us. God's truth nourishes us. It it doesn't always taste great when it starts. Some of you started the year of Bible engagement with us, and you were like, this doesn't taste good. (laughs) Especially when we got in Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy. We're just like, can I just like watch a show about this? Like that quickly does it in 20 minutes or so. Like... But the nourishing truth, God's truth will nourish us. Now, I know absolutely nothing about farming. Nothing, okay? I bucked some bales back in the day, but I'm just not built for the farm, okay? I burn easily and tire quickly. So, um, I know many of you... So, if I started talking about farming and wheat and grain, I would get laughed out of the building. But I am an ignored expert on one thing, and it's breakfast cereal, okay? So... Stick with me on this, and we can talk later. If you guys want to start a club, a breakfast club. Anyway, um, everybody under the age of 30 were like, what? So, but it sounds fun, a breakfast club. Um, so breakfast cereal. When I, when I was growing up, my mom and dad would, would drop us off um, at my grandma's house in the morning because they, to, they would go to work so much earlier than we needed to be at school. So they'd drop us off at grandma's house, and grandma would let us sleep for a little bit longer, and then she'd get us around in our school clothes. And then on the way to school, we would go to a restaurant called Mom's Kitchen. Mom's Kitchen. Whoa. We got a Houston ad. All right. <laughs> Mom's Kitchen. Wow. Um, I don't know what Mom's Kitchen is now. I, I, I dare not say, but, um, it was a great restaurant. We loved it. And they had everything. Imagine your favorite breakfast food. They would, it was just like unlimited. I mean, it's huge, huge portions, big plates. If you wanted to have a chicken fried steak for breakfast, you could do it there. Um, cause the gravy's the same, right? Just gravy on everything. It was one of those places, just delicious. I mean, you know, stacks of pancakes, sausage, waffles, bacon, everything you can imagine. All three of us kids would order the same thing every time because over in the corner, we wouldn't look in the menu, over in the corner they had this, uh, this like pie safe type of thing. It's like, you know, like when you go into, um, you go into a place where they keep all the pies. I don't know what it's called, like a, a display case, right? Like a cooler. But in that cooler, instead of pies, was cereal. <laughs> Breakfast cereal. They had put those little bitty, you know, one serving boxes, just lined them up in that case. And then they put lights on inside of it. And it was just like, "Ah," you know, like this is, and we were like so excited because we never got to eat frosted flakes at home, right? We got cornflakes and tried to sneak the sugar, right? Like we got all of that. And my grandma, she would, she would roll her eyes every time because they would be like, all right, what do you want? We'd be like, I'll have the cold cereal. She'd go, oh my goodness, the cold cereal. And my grandma, have you not tried Frosted Flakes? They're great, right? <laughs> she didn't get it, but it was funny. Um, but, but every single time, and even to this day, you know, I, I still have I still have memories of of going down the you know cereal aisle, being drugged down the cereal aisle with my parents, and just saying, "Can we have that?" All the stuff that we could see, you know, they did it on purpose. All the stuff that we wanted, all the you know the the yummy, the cinnamon toast crunch, and the um, you know the I'm, I'm just you got some over here, golden grams. We never got those either. The honeycomb, all of that delicious stuff, Lucky Charms, especially the ones that's just the marshmallows, right? That was the stuff I wanted. And even now, I go in and I think like, oh, mom told me we can't take out a mortgage to buy a box of cereal. But I'm like, I can take out a mortgage to buy a box of cereal. So I go in. Nobody will loan me that money yet. But I, I go in just knowing I can get anything. And so I'm just like paralyzed in the, in the aisle of like, there's so many things. But you know, there's a whole other part of the cereal aisle that I didn't even know existed that's like good for you, right? <laughs> 
There's like Wheaties and stuff over there. Like, I don't, I, I don't know why you would go over there. There's so many other good options. And I say good options, but we know that the cereal that tastes the best, it's not always the best for you. Now, you can pretend, there's people, you can come up to me and you can think you're telling the truth straight to my face that you actually like unsweetened cereal, but I won't believe you, and you shouldn't lie in church, because it's not better. <laughs> okay? Sorry, I'm not getting, I'm getting so angry. But this stuff is tested. This stuff is designed to make us want to crave it. And it worked for me as a kid. It works still for me as an adult. I, I, want, I can't just have one bowl. Like it's time to get out the mixing bowl and the big spoon, right? It's time to empty the box. There's still some left. But this is true with social media and our news channels and everything else. It's designed to pull us in, to pour another bowl, to flip, uh, keep the channel just a little bit longer, to listen to the thing that's coming up when they say on the radio. Some of us still listen to the radio. When they say on the radio, you don't want to miss this coming up after the break. And you're like, well, I've got to stay for the break. And then 20 minutes later, when the break is over, you're like, I didn't really need to stay for that. But you did because it's designed that way. To, to scroll a few more screens. We are constantly being filled, but we're rarely being nourished. Netflix will autoplay your next episode. Spotify will find similar music that you like and just build a, a perfectly curated thing so that if you, and if you don't like a song, there's an easy thumbs down and you'll never have to hear it again. Amazon's asking me if I want to subscribe and save so I don't even have to think about it. The next time... I'm craving something. It's probably already on the way to my house. My grocery app will say, hey, you tried this last time. Maybe you would like this. It's a little bit sweeter and a little less healthy for you. It's like, that sounds like it's right up my alley. We're constantly being fed, but rarely being nourished. Even after Israel is taken into captivity, you flip over a few pages to chapter 28. And even after Israel is taken into captivity, Jeremiah is still giving them messages Okay? He gives him these messages. He's like, here's what's going to happen. So he makes this, um, you know, he makes this yoke that is like a, a, one of those big, again, not a farmer, but you guys, you know, it has nothing to do with eggs, but it, it, you put it on the oxen and you make sure you can steer them when you do your plow in the field stuff. Okay. So he puts one on his neck, a big wooden one on his neck, and he's carrying it around and he's telling him, we're going to be in exile for a long time. We're going to carry this burden for a really long time. And that's what he called the word from the Lord for a while. It's like the words in, in Hebrew, it's interesting because the word for um, prophecy or message and burden are really kind of indistinguishable. Like they're the same word. And so that's just what they called it. He's like, I've got a burden from the Lord. And they were like, here we go again. Later on in chapter 23, there would actually be some of the prophets would say to Jeremiah, they would be like, hey, Jeremiah, what's the, uh, what's the burden from the Lord today? And he has the best possible comeback to this. Later in, in chapter 23, they say, what's the burden from the Lord today? What are you going to depress us with today? And he says, you are the depressing burden, <laughs> which is my favorite comeback with everything. Like, you. <laughs> so... Where were we? Hananiah. So Hananiah comes along. This is after Israel's gone into captivity. Hananiah comes along, and he is a false prophet. We're told that in the title of, of, um, you know, of chapter 28. But he comes along, and he comes to Jeremiah, and he breaks the yoke. And he, he, he breaks it, throws it on the ground, and he says, we're not going to be in exile for 70 years. We're going to be in exile for two years. Talk about a speech that could get people excited. I mean, Jeremiah is just walking around like, this is going to be a while. Settle in. 
This is a big burden from the Lord. And Hananiah comes in and he says, it's not going to be that long. It's going to be two years. Which, which, le- which lesson, which message are you going to listen to? Yeah, two years is bad, but it's not 70. I'm going to listen to the guy that's saying 70. And then God taps Jeremiah on the shoulder and says, now I have a word for Hananiah. Here's what it was, chapter 28, verses 13 and 15. The prophet Jeremiah said to the prophet Hananiah, Listen, Hananiah, the Lord did not send you, but you have led these people to trust a lie. You have filled their minds and their bellies and their spirits with falsehood, with lies, with deceit. And we can always find someone who will want to tell us what we want to hear. And it's always going to taste like Cinnamon Toast Crunch. It's going to taste good for a while, but by about 10, 30, 11 o'clock, I'm not close to lunch yet, but man, I'm really hungry because we are constantly fed, but rarely nourished. You know, we have these apps on our, on our phones and our devices now that can like time how much time you spend on each app. You know, like, and you can get like a notification. You can set it. You'd be like, I only want to spend like this many minutes or this many hours on this app, whether it's this day or this week or that sort of stuff. And I've I've never once been tempted, never once been like notified by my phone that I have been reading too much of the Bible app. Anybody? Anybody else? Okay. I, I never had to put that on that app. I never, can you imagine studying for the message this week and I get to about Jeremiah chapter 28 and my phone goes up. Put it down, man, like too far. You've read too much scripture today, right? I took my, my son Hudson to high school camp with me. Um, and he, you know, we, we, we bunked up with, uh, with Wayne, actually. It was a really, really good time. Um, Hudson liked to jump from the top bunk to Wayne's bed, which I thought was hilarious, and so did Hudson. I don't know if Wayne liked it or not. I'm not really sure. Um, he's gone today. I don't know. What. Um, so I took him, and, and one of the things we take when we go to camp with him is because he'll have a lot of downtime when we're like rehearsing with the band, and we got stuff that just he, he just can't participate in. We take his tablet, and he's discovered the Bible app for kids. And if you haven't seen this for your kids or even just for adults, it's pretty awesome. It's a, the, the Bible app for kids. You go through these stories, and you take these little quizzes, and it's all this kind of it's kind of built for kids to to learn the story of the Bible. And one day he comes up to me and he tells me he's like, "Dad, I ran out of I ran out of tablet time." And he's got like an allotted num- a bit of time um, that he, ha- he can get for anything. He can do anything on there. Um, not anything, but yeah. So he comes up to me. I, I ran out of tablet time, and I was like, "Well, buddy, that's the tablet time you had for the day. We're just gonna have to find something else to do." And he gets those big puppy dog eyes, and he looks at me, and he puts his tablet up, and he goes, "Dad, I was reading the Word of God." <laughs> and I said, "What version were you anyway?" But no, then I said, "I said, you know, what I did was like unlimited tablet time. Um, don't tell your mother, but." You know, I, I'm not sure if he kept reading the Bible that day or whatever, but, but we don't have to have that reminder, right? We don't have to be like, oh, you've had too much for today. Because we don't crave it. We don't, we, don't, we don't want to be, we're not being nourished by the truth of God, but we sure are being filled, constantly fed, but rarely nourished. So we need a diet change. We need a diet change. We need to change our diet of what we're taking in. And there's, there's a, a few things that little little sayings that I like to like to use. Maybe this will help you. Maybe it won't. But uh, one thing I like to use is a uh, scroll before scrolling. So like, like the scrolls of scripture, I don't have one of those for real, but like, if you think of it that way, scroll before scrolling. Before I go to my social media feeds, before I go see what everybody had for dinner last night or the bad photos of 
fireworks in the air. I don't know. But like, before I go do that, before I go see even what the, what's, what's going on in you know, the world with my friends and that sort of stuff, I'm going to open the Bible. Whether that's the Bible app or literal Bible, any of that. So scroll before scrolling. The next one that, uh, that helps me is uh, good news before Google News. Not that everything on my Google News app is bad, mostly, but, but good news before Google News. That's another reminder. Before I, before I get to you know, everybody arguing about what the truth of the world is, I'm going to go to the truth of God. I'm going to go to the truth of God. And so um, I've actually got to have, I drilled a hole in the back of my nightstand. Um, I asked my wife, it was okay, but um, so that I could run the charger for my phone and put my phone on the charger and close the drawer when I go to bed at night. So that when my watch buzzes and wakes me up, I get up and I see how long I can leave that phone in that drawer. Okay. You should try it. Try drilling a hole in the back of your nightstand. That's really fun. But also, see what you can do. See how long you can go the day without, those, without being filled with something that's not the truth of God. And then the last one, something just personally for me, because I tend to head this direction. Am I being a speaker of truth and not a troll? Because when I do get on those social media apps, man, I've got some digital courage. I got some muscles to post and to type, and sometimes I even spell all the words right. And it's like, yeah, but am I going there for that for that purpose, or am I there to build up the kingdom of God, to encourage, to speak truth, or am I just being a troll? Moving on to, to chapter uh, chapter twenty three, verses twenty nine and thirty. We'll get these next two in here. Um, God says to His people and to Jeremiah, "Is not my word like fire?" This is the Lord's declaration. And like a hammer that pulverizes rock, therefore take note, I am against the prophets who steal my words from each other. Fire is referenced a lot in the Bible. If you read through Revelation, fire is what's going to uh, destroy or you know, fix all of the problems, right? The, the wrath of God or whatever it is. We, we think of fire as, as almost a, a bad thing. You know, we think of like fire is like, that's, that's where all the bad people are going to go. And then fire is not, a, is not a God thing. That's the other guy's situation, right? He's got the fire. And, and, and we tend to think of, of this fire. But there's another side of the truth of God that can be like a fire. And, and what we see here is this, this, it's likened to a metal worker's job where, where they would heat up a lump of mixed metals. And they would heat it up so hot that all of the, all of the, the impure metals and all of the, the things that have been mixed in with it and the rock and the ore and all of that would melt away and all that would be left was pure silver or pure gold. You may have heard it referred to in songs and in scripture as the refiner's fire. And this is what God's truth will do to us. The second qualifying trait of God's truth is that God's truth will refine us like the refiner's fire. Submitting yourself to the truth of God will burn. And some of you thought I was going to do fireworks up here, but I'm not. I promise. I'm not going to light any fireworks. This is another critique of the prosperity prophets. You see, they were, they were just telling people what they wanted to hear. This is, they were just like, like, but they're not giving them anything that would like change them. Okay? Just stay the way you are. Uh, Israel, like us, didn't want to hear about their past sins and their failures. 
They wanted to come to church. They wanted to come to the truth of God and open their Bibles and read a lot of like, you know, joy and love and peace. They wanted, they wanted the positive messages. The problem was, is that because of their past, the future wasn't looking so bright. There wasn't much hope on the horizon immediately for Israel. They didn't want to hear these. Uh, they, 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 so so they, they went and they searched out answers. They searched out answers that didn't burn, that didn't hurt, that didn't make them squirm in their seats, calming messages to help them sleep at night. Now, one thing I've learned about myself, careful front row, is that in order to grow spiritually, I need to sit quietly with God. Like, I need to sit quietly with God. I don't know, maybe you can connect with God in the car with music, or you can connect with God in some other way, but I, if, if, if it, for me to grow spiritually, for God to get my attention, I need to sit in quiet. And the other thing I've learned about myself is that when, or about God, really, is that when I sit in the quiet to grow closer to God, He actually expects me to do it. He actually gives me something to grow in. And it's like once I finally remove, so, so I'll like gather all kinds of things. I'll start to gather like, you know, my phone and my tablet and the TV's on. And I'll even, I'll go wake up one of the kids to keep me distracted, right? I gotta be like, maybe I'll talk to a two-year-old for 20 minutes instead of do, you know, let God talk to me. And I just let, I just, I just don't want to sit, but I will, I will force myself to do that because I know. That in that moment, that's where all of the flaws that I've hidden from most of you, my past, my failures, my shortcomings, the the way that I don't treat people the way that Jesus would, my defensiveness, my decisiveness, my divisiveness, my laziness. When I sit alone with God, I know that stuff's going to start to come to the surface. When it's quiet, that's when I start thinking about those things, the rough edges And it's in those moments that God turns up the heat. And he he starts to burn off those edges. And and there's a a lot of me, whenever I I feel that heat and I feel that burn, I really just want him to kind of like, can you turn it down just a little bit? Like, some of you are like, please, (laughs) please. Because we we don't want the heat. Now, biblical theologians uh, call this sanctification. That's not a word we use a whole lot every day. You know, like going to your office tomorrow and be like, how are you feeling? Sanctified? You know, like that's not just an everyday word that we use. But that's that idea that, that God is, is refining us every day. I, I define sanctification like this. Looking more and more like Jesus every day after the day that you meet him. Looking more and more like Jesus every day after the day that you first meet him. So every day my goal is to look a little bit more like Jesus. And what that's going to feel like is that he's burning off some of those edges. As Josh Howard says it, following Jesus will always lead to the lost, to the broken, and to a cross. None of those are pain-free options. Because if it were up to me, when the fire starts, I'd like to get something to put it out. Just turn it off. And I'll even say things like, God God wants me to be happy, right? God wouldn't want me to feel pain, right? God's not, God's not going to punish me. He's not going to, you know, that, that feels like punishment. That feels terrible. Like, why would God put me through pain? 
pain and suffering. Why would God ask me to deal with that? I had that buried. I had that below the surface. Why, when I sit in the quiet, does he turn the heat up and want to deal with that stuff? Because God's truth will refine you. It's not about my will, but his. But wouldn't God just want me to stay? Doesn't God love me the way that I am? I love the way that Max Lucado says it. says, God loves you just the way that you are, but he refuses to leave you that way. He wants you to be just like Jesus. As the Apostle Paul, he describes walking with Jesus in this way. Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, he says that I've been crucified with Christ. I don't live this life anymore, but I live my life by the faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. I'm crucified with Christ. My life is no longer mine. I'm crucified with him because he was crucified for me. I had a Bible school professor who used to always say, we have to remember that crucifixion is a slow and painful process on purpose. So we ask ourselves, Is following Jesus always comfortable for me? Does it just always seem to be that the thing that I already wanted to do is the thing that God is calling me to do? Does it seem like every single question that I had where I really had a preferred answer that God seems to answer that way too? Tim Keller famously said that if if the God you serve is always agreeing with you, then you're probably not worshiping God but an idolized version of yourself. When you make God in your own image, you get exactly that, your own image. But does the truth I need to hear, is it sometimes too hot to handle? Is it something that I kind of want to drop as soon as I get it? Ouch, that burns, that hurts. When was the last time that a message or a verse or, or a time of prayer left you just broken and refined Cut off some of those edges. Burn off some of those things about your loose edge, your, your character flaws, your personalities, your wants, your desires, your will, so that God could do his will in you. God's word will refine us. His truth is a refiner's fire. Last one. God's truth will nourish us. God's truth will refine us. And finally, God's truth will break us. God's truth will break us. Look there in 29. It says, it's not my word like a fire. This is the word's declaration. And like a hammer that pulverizes rock. Now, I I toyed with the idea of bringing out a really big rock and a hammer, but I didn't want to embarrass myself, so I brought a blowtorch instead. So, way easier, right? Um, Agree or disagree? We're we're pretty stubborn people. See, you won't even answer that question, right? You're that stubborn, right? Let me ask it in a different way. Other people are stubborn, right? (laughs) People are stubborn. People don't like to change. We don't like to be told that we're wrong. And for some people, it is that. It's a reluctance to this refiner's fire. For a lot of, a lot of us believers, it's just like, like yeah, I've, I'm saved, but I don't really want to be sanctified. I don't really want to go through that. I feel like I'm walking with Jesus, but man, when he asks me to walk his path and not my path, that's where we're going to have problems. So sometimes it's that. Sometimes it's just hard-headedness of being a believer and God's going to work on that and he's going to, you know, you can pray for, um, for humility in that. But then there's another level of hardness. There's another level of stubbornness that we see actually in chapter 6. We notice in chapter 6 where God tells Jeremiah that the refiner's fire is not going to be enough for Israel. 
He says, I could turn the fire and the heat up as, as, as much as I can. But he says, there's no, there's no purity left in the nation. There's nothing good left in Israel. Remember, the people, the kings, and the prophets. It's widespread, the sin. And he says, I could turn it up as loud as I want, but there's no purity. It was all stone. Even in chapter 23, Jeremiah describes the people of God as stubborn people who only follow their own hearts. That feels like a mirror, doesn't it? The truth of God can break the hardest of hearts. Maybe not in one sermon. Maybe not in one verse or one quiet time or one fail swoop, but he can. But in time, the grace of God striking at a hard heart will reveal cracks. We'll find a way. Maybe you know someone like this. Maybe you're, maybe you're married to someone like this. Maybe you are someone like this, where you've been hurt in the past. Maybe it was the church that hurt you, but you've got this heart that has said, nope, I am... I'm hard-headed and hard-hearted and there's not a hammer big enough to crush it. I'm, uh, I'm reminded, I was reminded this week, I was le- reading Luke chapter 15, the story of the prodigal son. And one part that kind of gets overlooked because it's kind of thrown in there at the end is, you know, we know the story and the prodigal son comes back, the, the lost son who goes and he wastes a lot of his dad's money and kind of literally drags their name through the mud. And then as he's coming home, because he's come to his senses, the father runs to him and he embraces him and throws a huge party for him, kills the fattened calf. It's like the biggest, the biggest party because he's so excited that his son has come home and that he's not dead. But the end of that story, if you'll remember, the father leaves the party at one point. He leaves the party because he knows that his oldest son has not showed up yet. And his oldest son is in the back, kind of kicking rocks with his arms crossed, rolling his eyes, huffing and puffing in the back, going, I never left once. I never asked for anything. And yet you throw a huge party. You give him a ring and a robe and a fatted calf. You've never even given me like a a busted up lamb to celebrate with my friends. And do you remember what the father does? He goes to that son as well. And he says, everything that I have is yours. And he softens that hardened heart. And he goes after both. He goes after the one who has, who has left the, fa- the family farm. He goes after the one who's never left, but has hardened his heart the whole time. If you're like me, um, you might try to pile as much space and noise and news and filler, all of this stuff in between you and God, because it's like, there's no way he's getting through this. Because I know what happens when I sit in silence with God. I know what comes to the surface. I know what I have to deal with in that moment or what God is about to deal with. So I'll just put as much stuff in between me and God as possible. And if there's ever a moment where I'm sitting and it's too quiet, I've got my phone I can pull out. If I'm ever in a moment where where it feels like this might get real, I've got a lot of dad jokes I can just rattle off and make everybody laugh and we're not going to get too serious, right? So maybe you're like me and you just pile as much as possible. You can't, you can't see him or hear him, but he won't let up. His truth won't fade. His pursuit of you won't yield. Whether you're the son who left home or the son who stayed, he leaves the 99 to find the one. He sweeps the entire house to find the one treasure. He watches the front porch and the backfield. 
for his children to come home. I said this earlier of Israel, and I said we'd come back to it, but this is, this is the, the, the biggest takeaway, maybe of any message that you hear. God's word is not a magnifying glass to point us, for us to point and enlarge someone else's sin, but a mirror for us to reflect our own. It wasn't for Israel to go and look for somebody to blame. The, the, the words of Jeremiah to the people of Israel are a giant mirror to go, look what you did. Now what? Some of us need the nourishment of God's truth. We've packed our lives and our bellies and our brains with so many different things that are just, you know, they're just not good for us. And that can be said of our regular diets, but it's also going to be said of, of our intake of media and everything. We've, we've just, we've packed so much. We are not scrolling before scrolling. We are, we are not going online to be speakers of truth and not trolls. We are not getting our good news before we get our news. We're malnourished. We're constantly filled, but never nourished. Some of us need a better diet. Some of us need refinement, a hotter fire. We need to sit in those times with God. And we know where our flaws and the, and the, things, that we have, the things that we have hidden, the things that we think we have hidden from everybody. But God knows those areas, and he wants to bring them to the surface, and he wants to turn up the fire, not as a punishment, but as a refinement. And some of us just need the breaking power of God's truth to just knock us silly in our selfishness and our pride and our puffed-out chest. We need God's hammer of truth. Think Thor, but without all the, like, false Norse God stuff, but, like... To really knock it out of you. Again, not as a punishment, but as a refinement. But as a breaking down of the hardened heart so that the truth of God can melt it. I hope in these next few minutes that we can, we can reflect. That we can reflect on what God is calling us to do. What God is, is calling us to, to remove. That we can identify His truth more clearly. But most importantly, we want to reflect on the biggest swing that God ever took of that hammer. And it's sending his son Jesus to die on a cross, born of a virgin, lived a sinless life. But even though we were sinners, Christ dies for us. And and the truth of God, yes, it's like that big hammer, but he takes that swing and the biggest gift of sacrifice, the greatest gift of love comes to us to break our hearts, to refine our souls, and to nourish us with the truth of God. Over these next few minutes, I I just ask you to reflect as we sing and we worship, what in your life has become louder than God's truth? What do you need to do today? What does God need to show up and do today? Does you need the nourishment? Do you need the refinement? Do you need to just sit in the brokenness? And so I'd ask that we all stand together as we sing. This also be a a time if you want to talk and pray over a decision that needs to be made. I'll I'll be right out here to these these double doors on your right. You can do this online, northsidechristianchurch.net slash decision. One of our ministers will be in touch with you. But if, if you're here this morning and you feel malnourished in truth, and you feel 
the lack of refinement in your life. You feel like God is just pounding away, trying to soften your heart. I would love to talk and to pray with you right out these doors. This is also a time as you leave this morning, um, the boxes around the area and then a chance to give online. You have a chance to do that, different ways that you can do that as well. But as we worship and sing together, let's remember the God who comes to nourish, to refine, and to break us. Let's worship with these broken hearts, church. Thanks for joining us this morning, Northside. Before you go, make sure you check in and let us know you were here. Text the word CHECK to 417-233-1200. If you want to respond to today's service, you can do that online through Decision Point. If you want to know more about baptism or becoming a member, you can request more info at northsidechristianchurch.net slash decision. This is also the place to find out about our life groups, find out what sort of service opportunities there are, or if you just need to get in touch with a minister. And if you're online, you probably use social media too. Make sure you're following along with Northside on our Facebook page, Instagram account, YouTube channel, or Twitter. We are glad that you chose to join us this morning. As we head out for the week, let's make sure we take the love of God with us. Take good care of each other, Northside.